from Astoria to the Rockaways, it's time for the Queen's New Yorker. And here is the man giving you all the info, your uber snazzy and jazzy host, Mr. Jason Gacaniho! Yeah! Hey! Thank you! Thank you, Jason Kelly! Thank you very much. Oh, what a group. Thank you. Ah, oh, you're too kind. Thank you very much. And I'm so glad you're all here to join us for another edition of the Queen's New Yorker. I'm Jason DiCanio, your gracious host and moderator of this fantastic series that's been on for the past eight seasons we're in season number eight right now and we are doing fantastic this is episode 216 on this tuesday december 6th 2022 and since we've been on anchor and spotify right now we've got over 4725 listens you're fantastic there you have it Whoa. oh yeah we have jumped a lot in the past two years. Oh, yeah. Kids going on Anchor Spotify. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. And tonight is no exception. Tonight is no exception. We continue our look at radio stations across New York City and the five boroughs. Tonight, we're looking at an interesting radio station that I just, I can't believe it ex- exists. It's a non-commercial, listener-supported radio station's licensed to New York. Its programming is a mixture of political news, talk, and opinion from a left-leaning, liberal, or progressive viewpoint and eclectic music. The station is owned by the Pacifica Foundation, with studios located in Brooklyn and transmitter located at Four Times Square. We're looking at WBAI 99.5 FM tonight. Yep, that's who we're touching base with, folks. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. So let's go ahead and delve right in. And, of course, all of our information comes from the Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. Well, this station began as WABF, which first went on the air in 1941 as W75NY of Metropolitan Television, Inc. Now, W75NY indicating an eastern station at 47.5 megahertz in New York and moved to the 99.5 frequency in 1947. Then in 1955, after two years off the air, it was reborn as WBAI after then-owners Broadcast Associates, Inc. Okay? So WBAI was purchased by Florentapist uh, Lewis Schweitzer, who donated it 
to the Pacifica Foundation in 1960. The station, which had been a commercial enterprise, became non-commercial and listener-supported under Pacifica ownership. The history of WBAI during this period is iconoclastic and contentious. Referred to in a New York Times magazine piece as an archaist circus, or an anarchist circus, one station manager was jailed in protest. The staff, in protest at sweeping, proposed changes of another station manager, seized the studio facilities, then located in a deconsecrated church, as well as the transmitter located at the Empire State Building. Well, during the 1960s, the station hosted innumerable anti-establishment causes, including anti-Vietnam War activists, feminists, and live coverage of purported bra-burning demonstrations, kids' lib, early fire sign theater comedy, and complete album music overnight. He refused to stop playing Janice Ian's song about interracial relationships, society's child. Extensive daily coverage of the Vietnam War included the ongoing body count and innumerable anti-war protests. Well, WBAI played a major role in the evolution and development of the counterculture of the 60s and early 70s. Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant was first broadcast on Radio Unnameable and Bob Fass's Freedom Radio, or Freeform Radio program on WBAI, which a program which itself in many ways created, explored, and defined the possibilities of the form. The station covered the 1968 seizure of the Columbia University campus live and uninterrupted. With its signal reaching nearly 70 miles beyond New York City, its reach and influence, both direct and indirect, were significant. And among the station's weekly commentators in the 60s were author Ian Radd, British politician and playwright Sir Stephen King Hall, and author Dennis Holy. The 1964 political conventions were covered satirically on WBAI by Zvern Darnan, Elaine May, Burns and Schreiber, David Armram, uh, Amram, Julie Harris, Tyler Mead, and members of the Second City Improvisational Group. The station, under music directors John Corrigiano and McMillian, McMillan, and later Eric Salzman aired an annual 23-hour non-stop presentation of Richard Wagner's Ring Cycle, as recorded at the Bayreuth Festival the year before, and produced live studio performances of emerging artists in its studios. Interviews with prominent figures in literature and the arts, as well as original dramatic productions and radio adaptations, were also regular programming offerings. Then in 1970, Kathy Dobkin, Milton Hoffman, and Francie Camper produced an unprecedented, critically acclaimed four-and-a-half-day, round-the-clock reading of Tolstoy's War and Peace. The epic novel was read cover-to-cover by more than 200 people, including a large number of international celebrities from various fields. Newsweek called this broadcast one of the more mind-blowing firsts in the history of the media, 
and the complete reading, which is over 200 audio tapes, was the first Pacifica program to be selected for inclusion in the permanent collection of the Museum of Broadcasting in New York City. Then in 1973, the station broadcast comedian George Carlin's iconic seven words you could never say on television monologue, uncensored. WBAI's broadcast of seven words became a landmark moment in the history of free speech. In a 1978 milestone in the station's contentious and unruly history, WBAI lost a 5-4 U.S. Supreme Court decision. That's the FCC versus Pacifica Foundation. That to this day has defined the power of the government over broadcast material it calls indecent. In 74, WBIA program director Marnie Mueller asked Charles Ross to become director of arts programming. Thus, the station, already at the forefront of the counterculture and anti-war protest, also became a platform for New York's avant-garde in theater, music, performance, art, and poetry. And won the downtown avant-garde opera A Letter to Queen Victoria by Philip Glass and Robert Wilson opened at the Metropolitan Opera, the station was right there to tape the experts or the excerpts in rehearsals for broadcast. Rouse initiated a year-long series on Marguerite Young's epic novel, Miss McIntosh, My Darling. And these readings were transformed into performances by Rob Wynn, who scored them with a complex collage of sound effects, music, and opera. The participants included Anais Nin, Marion Zeldas, Alice Platon, H.M. Kutakokis, Leo Lerman, Michael Wager, Novella Nelson, Osceola McCarthy Adams, Owen Dodson, Wyatt Emery Cooper, Michael Higgins, Anne Fremantle, Peggy Cass, Ruth Ford, and Earl Hyman, and Daisy Alden. When William Burroughs returned to the United States from Tangier, Rouse invited him to present a retrospective of all his works. The series consisted of four programs, beginning with Junkie and followed by the Yage Letters, read by Burroughs and Allen Ginsberg, The Last Words of Dutch Salts, and finally Naked Lunch. Bill Cordham oversaw this series, as well as retrospectives of the works of Jerzy Kuczynski and Donald Bartholomew, co-produced with Judith Sherman and the station's music director. A semester of Allen Ginsberg's poetry seminar held at the Naropa Institute in Colorado, Colorado was presented by Rouse, and for many years the station covered the annual New Year's Eve celebratory poetry marathon at St. Mark's Church. The day the Vietnam War ended, poet Muriel Rekaiser came to the station to read her poem on peace. Ross inaugurated the Audio Experimental Theater, which is a series presenting the works of avant-garde artists Meredith Monk, Yvonne Rayner, Ed Bowes, Michael Newman, Joan Schwartz, Benjamin Folkman, Vito Akosani, Charles Ludlam, Jacques Levey, Willoughby Sharp, John Cage, Robert Wilson, Philip Glass, Richard Foreman, and Joan Jonas. In drama, 
The station defended Tennessee Williams against his critics during the last years of his life by covering his memoirs and broadcasting a production of two-character play. Other dramatists whose works were featured included Jean-Claude Van Atali, Richard Schnenker, or Schechner, Andre Serban, and Elizabeth Swados. Ross initiated interview programs featuring non-fiction writers discussing their fields of expertise, Buckminster Fuller, Thor Heyerdahl, Ed Sanders, Jonathan Kozol, or Kozol, yeah, Kozol, and Nigel Nicholson. Now, each of the arts had weekly weekly coverage. Courtney's Courtney Collander's Getting Around covered the cultural scene. Moriah Hudson was the dance critic, and the visual arts critics were John Peralt, Sydney, uh, Cindy Nemser, Liza Bear, Joe Giordano, Judith Vivell, Kenneth Koch, and Les Levin. Susan Howe produced a weekly poetry program presenting the works of John Ashbery, W.S. Merwin, Maureen Owen, Charles Rezenkoff, Rebecca Wright, Ron Paget. Carter Ratcliffe, John Hollander, Anne Waldman, Helen Adam, Audrey Lord, Michael Brownstein, Mary Ferrari, and Muriel Rakaiser. She also produced specials featuring William Carlos Williams, V.R. Lang, Jack Spicer, Louise Bogan, Paul Metcalf, Jonathan Williams, Harry Matthews, and James Lawlin. From 76 to 79, Poet John Giorno hosted the Poetry Experiment and later presented his five-part series, Dial a Poem, Poets. For a few years, WBAI became a cultural force as these programs were disseminated nationally through the Pacifica Network. Then in 1977, there was a major internal crisis at WBAI, which resulted in the loss of the physical space of the station. WBAI was located in a former church on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and for many years, WBAI had believed it was exempted from New York City real estate taxes as an educational institution. But in March of 1977, the City Tax Commission denied that status, and WBAI eventually sold the church, which it owned, to pay the back taxes. WBAI signed a new lease for the 19th floor, the former Catamon Records office studio, plus one office on another floor of an office building at 505 8th Avenue on the west side of Manhattan. After the events in 1977, the station began to shift to a more profound international direction. And then in 1980, Caribbean immigrant and Marxist activist Samori Marksman was hired as WBAI program director with his ascension and there was more of a focus on international issues and the promotion of people of color to the WBAI staff which caused grumbling among longtime white and Jewish progressives who felt they were being pushed out of the station. Then in 1983, Marksman abruptly left for the Caribbean island of Grenada to participate in a new government, a government that was thwarted by the U.S. invasion of Grenada in October of 1983. In 1986, gay activist John Scagliotti 
became program director, and he initiated many program changes. Still, more longtime programmers left the station. Scogliati tried to professionalize the programming and smooth out the rougher edges of existing shows. And during his tenure, several producers received accolades for their efforts, including Robert Knight, who won a Polk Award for his show, Contragate. A future and future program director and station manager, Valerie Van Eisler, who won awards for her role in the film The Panama Deception. Also, award-winning producer and host Amy Goodman began her career under Scagliotti. Samurai Marksman returned to WBAI in the early 90s and in 1994 and was hired again as WBAI's program director. During his five-year tenure, WBAI achieved significant progress in listenership and fundraising. Marksman founded Democracy Now! in 96, the award-winning program now helmed by Amy Goodman. Marksman was deeply connected to the Caribbean and African diaspora, and his own program, Behind the News, focused on international and national issues from a black nationalist and Marxist perspective. Marksman was profoundly loved by a broad cross-section of the WBAI audience and staff, and his shocking and sudden death from a massive heart attack on March 23, 1999, was a wound to the station that lasted for years. Over 3,000 people attended his funeral at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in Manhattan. Shortly before the death of Samurai Marksman and following years of complaints about the outdated and filthy studios at 505 8th Avenue in New York, WBAI moved to new studios at 120 Wall Street in the Financial District in Manhattan in June of 1998. After the death of Marksman, there was profound uncertainty and an explosion of pent-up feelings and resentments that was suppressed by Marksman and Mario Murillo, the public affairs director. So, Utrice Lead popular Caribbean radio host and producer had expected to succeed Marksman, but was denied the post by then general manager Valerie Van Eisler. This led to an intense battle between various factions inside and outside the station and with the Pacifica Foundation, the nonprofit parent company of WBAI. The culmination of this conflict was the Christmas coup in December of 2000 when a faction led by lead, padlocked the station and took control of the airwaves, starting an on-air and off-air war that lasted for several years. Some senior WBAI staffers, including General Manager Van Eisler, were fired immediately, and Van Eisler in particular was blamed for the early death of Marksman. In 1994, Van Eisler initially refused to hire Marksman, claiming Marksman had a mediocre credit report then, later in his tenure, refused to give him a salary increase. The autocratic and unpopular Van Eisler also vigorously fought former staffers from obtaining unemployment benefits, including Bill Wells, the former WBAI chief engineer who had a disability. In late 2012, WBAI suffered extensive damage to its offices following the events of Hurricane Sandy. The Manhattan offices saw flooding reach the second floor, trapping seven staffers inside and the telephone systems being disabled. The devastation by Sandy occurred in the midst of fundraising efforts, 
which ultimately prevented WBAI from acquiring the necessary funds to remain operational. And as a result of funding and operational difficulties, WBAI announced in 2013 it would be moving out of those studios to temporary studios of WHCR-FM located in Harlem, a station operated by the City College of New York, or CUNY. Lynn Rosen and John Littig, co-hosts of the monthly show The Pursuit of Happiness, were found dead on June 3, 2013, after committing suicide in their Park Slope home. Then in June of 2013, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting suspended payments to WBAI, citing accounting irregularities and a failure by the station to meet its financial obligations. Layoff notices, effective July 15th, were subsequently issued to the station's staff and management. August 9th, 2013, Pacifica Management announced that due to financial problems, WBAI was laying off about two-thirds of its staff, effective August 12th of the same year. The entire news department was laid off. Summer Reese, the interim executive director of the Pacifica Foundation, which owns WBAI, said that after talks with the SAG and AFTRA, the union that represents broadcasting talent, we will be laying off virtually everyone whose voice you recognize on the air, effective Monday. And she corrected that and announced the final number was 19 out of the station's 29 employees. It's about 66%. Andrew Phillips, the former general manager of another of Pacifica's five stations, KPFA in Berkeley, California, was appointed WBAI's interim program director. And the New York Times reported that the station owned $2 million in broadcast fees to Democracy Now! alone, while cash on hand was just about $23,000. March 2014. There were assorted rumors that the station would be sold or leased or moved, in whole or in part, including their equipment and antenna at the Empire State Building, after contentions and firings both at WBAI and at Pacifica headquarters. December 17, 2014, the California State Attorney General opened a full and formal investigation into the Pacifica Radio Foundation, the owner of WBAI, with respect to its alleged irregularities as to its finances, violations of California law with respect to nonprofit organizations, and violations of its own bylaws. In 2015, WBAI moved to new studios and offices at 388 Atlantic Avenue in the Borum Hill section of Brooklyn. October 4th of the same of 2017, the court rejected WBAI's pleadings as ill-founded and granted the Empire State Reality Trust a summary judgment in the amount of $1.8 million plus attorney's fees for the monies due through the initial filing date of late 2016. ESRT was awarded with an additional $600,000 for the lease through the date of the court's ruling with obligations of approximately $50,000 per month through lease expiration in 2020 also remaining in place. Now, a further settlement was announced on April 6, 2018, releasing WBAI from the court judgment and its obligation to continue leasing the Empire State Tower into 2022. I'm sorry, continue releasing this Empire State in 2020. They began broadcasting 
from 4 Times Square on May 31st, 2018. Then on Monday, October 7th, 2019, the Pacifica Foundation announced they were shutting down WBAI's local operations, leaving only two workers to keep the station's signal on the air. WBAI began airing a national network feed known as Pacifica Across America, a curated collection of original content produced by Pacifica stations, KPFA in Berkeley, KPF, um, KPFA in Berkeley, KPFK in Los Angeles, KPFT in Houston, and WPFW in Washington, D.C., among other sources. The post-shutdown WBAI schedule included commercial progressive talker Tom Hartman and Native American free-form series Undercurrents, which is mostly syndicated to public radio. John Verniel, inter interim executive director of the Pacific Foundation, said the station's fundraising and audience had declined in recent years to the point where the rest of the Pacifica network was subsidizing WBAI's operations on top of servicing its unsustainable debt load. And within hours of the shutdown, WBAI's staffers filed a lawsuit in New York State court challenging the shutdown as illegal. Temporary injunction was granted the afternoon of October 8th of 2019 ordering WBAI to resume operations and not dismantle the studio until an, until an October 18th hearing. But by the time the injunction had been issued, the studio had already been dismantled, preventing the staff from resuming local operations. An appeals court lifted most of the injunction on October 10th, only enjoying Pacifica from outright firing WBAI's employees. Then on Tuesday, October 15th of 2019, WBAI's attorney, Arthur Schwartz, stated that federal judge Paul A. Engelmeyer reactivated the temporary restraining order, extending it to close of business on the 17th. On October 15th, District Judge Engelmeyer, South District of, Southern District of New York, extended the New York State Supreme Court's TRO from October 18th through the end of the next hearing, which was scheduled for Monday, October 21st. Prior to the hearing, the parties were, were to submit briefs in support or opposition of the extension of the TRO, the, the Temporary Restraining Order. And finally, in Manhattan Supreme Court, Judge Melissa Crane ordered Pacifica to return control of the station back to WBAI. She upheld the October 20th, 2019 board vote to annul the decision to shutter WBAI. A lawyer for Pacifica, Kara Steger, said that the company planned to appeal the ruling. WBAI resumed local programming on November 7th. And there you have it, friends. The long history that continues on this interesting station, WBAI 99.5 FM. All right. 
with uh, an interesting look at some of the other great uh, episodes that we have done so far in our history of radio. We finished the, the three-part series of WABC. We looked at the history of WAXQ 104.3, WCBS-FM 101.1, parts one and two, and... The history of News Radio 880 and 1010 Wins started it off. So we've looked at some pretty good radio stations so far. And we're going to be continuing on in our next look here. And we are coming down the line. And the next one in our series is WBBR, 1130 AM. It was a Class A clear channel radio station. Serves as the flagship station of Bloomberg Radio or Bloomberg LP's radio service. And the station offers general financial news reports 24 hours a day along with local information and interviews with corporate executives, economists, and industry analysts. Serving the Carlsdatt, New Jersey area and all the way out to Shreveport, Louisiana. Wow. Started... In 1922, we'll look at that 100-year-old radio station on episode 217 of the Queens New Yorker. <laughs> I'm Jason Icanio, thanking you once again for another look at some great, great radio history. We will see you on Thursday for another look at another great radio station WBBR and hope you will have a great rest of the week. We'll see you on Thursday. I'm Jason Ikania. Remember, be honest, be real, and keep it simple, stupid kiss. We'll see you on Thursday. Have a good night. Bye-bye. <laughs>